Hi, everybody. It's the sun also rises here on KPCGFM. Thank you for tuning in today. Well, it's no secret that race relations here in the United States, just like in many other countries around the world, are not in a great state. Racism can be a terribly violent and destructive force, and it can also be kind of a self-perpetuating, self-exacerbating force. Because if a person feels like he's hated by a certain group of people, then the normal reaction is for him to hate that group right back. Tip for tat, you know, meet hatred with hatred. It's the natural, usual reaction. That's how it usually goes with racial hatred. But on The Sun Also Rises today, we'll take a look at a man who does not behave in the usual, natural way. This man does not meet hatred with hatred. How can you hate me when you don't even know me and you know nothing about me? Please tell me. That's Mr. Daryl Davis. It's from an interview that he conducted last March with David Pakman. Mr. Davis is an American from Chicago originally. And he's a black man. That's a detail that is relevant to this story. Mr. Davis is also an author and a famous musician. He received a degree from Howard University in jazz studies, and he's spent the last several decades performing all over the world. He's played with such legends as Little Richard and Chuck Berry, Muddy Waters, Jerry Lee Lewis, and lots of others. But before he was a professional musician... Back when Daryl was about 10 years old, he had his first real encounter with racial hatred. This was in Massachusetts, where he was living at the time, and here's the story. My very first experience with racism, we were living in Belmont, Massachusetts, a suburb of Boston, and I was one of two black kids in the entire school, myself in fourth grade, 1968, and a little girl in second grade, a little black girl in second grade, so I didn't see a whole lot of her. All of my friends were white, fourth and fifth graders. My guy friends, uh, many of them were members of the Cub Scouts, and they asked me if I wanted to join, so I joined the Scouts. On Scout Day, I was the only black scout in the area. On Scout Day, we had a march from Lexington to Concord, Massachusetts, to commemorate the ride of Paul Revere. And walking down this parade route with my fellow scouts, the Boy Scouts, the Girl Scouts, the Cub Scouts, and the Brownies, I was the only black scout in this march. And I began getting pelted with rocks and bottles and debris from the street by white spectators over on the sidewalk. But having never had any kind of experience like this before, I just assumed that somebody over there didn't like the scouts. I didn't realize that I was the only scout getting hit until my pack leader and my cub master came back in the line and huddled over me and escorted me out of the danger. I kept saying, well, why? Why are they, you know, hitting me? Eventually, 10-year-old Daryl learned that he was being targeted by those people for no other reason than that he was black. That clip was from an interview Mr. Davis gave with WSRE Pensacola back in 2012, by the way. And that experience as a Cub Scout was what planted the seeds of young Daryl Davis's quest the quest to find that answer to his question about racial hatred. You know, how can you hate me if you don't even know me? I've been on a quest ever since the age of 10 to find that answer. I've recently read Mr. Davis's book about that quest, and I've also been in contact with him personally to have some of my questions answered. And his story 
is a remarkable one and an inspiring one. His quest to find the answer to his question has led Mr. Davis into some very dangerous circumstances and into some, uh, some dramatic situations. And it's also led to some big surprises, some outcomes that he never would have expected and really outcomes that no one ever would have expected. So it all started when he was a Cub Scout around age 10. And as Daryl entered into his teenage years, he had other experiences being the victim of racism. And each of these experiences intensified his desire to fully understand what was behind it. To learn the answer to his question, Daryl started reading everything he could get his hands on about the Ku Klux Klan and about the Nazis in Germany during World War II and about various American neo-Nazi groups. He also read all he could find about black supremacist groups and pretty much anything that people had written people who uh, believe that the color of their skin gave them some kind of superiority over people of other races. Daryl began collecting all the material he could find on those topics, and he learned a great deal about it, but he felt like it wasn't enough. Daryl Davis still felt that he was not fully comprehending the answer. So after a few more years passed by, he decided he needed to have some deep first-hand discussions with some white supremacists. That's obviously a really dangerous kind of situation for a black person to enter into. But Mr. Davis was determined, and so he decided that it was necessary to take the risk. At this time, he was living in Maryland, and he decided that he would start right there. Not one to aim low, Mr. Davis determined to try to speak with the Grand Dragon of Maryland's Ku Klux Klan, or KKK. The KKK is a group of white supremacists in America. They are right-wing extremists, and they have a long history of using things like terrorism and physical assault and even murder against black people and other minority groups. And the title Grand Dragon means the highest-ranking KKK member in a certain state. And at this time, in the early 1990s, the Grand Dragon of Maryland was a man named Roger Kelly. When Mr. Davis was setting up the meeting with the Grand Dragon, he intentionally decided not to tell him that he was black. Mr. Davis thought that that little detail might make the dragon not want to meet with him or something like that. So he left that little detail undisclosed and he set up the meeting. And I'd like to read an excerpt from Mr. Davis's book, which is called Clandestine Relationships, with a K. And this excerpt describes the Grand Dragon and his bodyguard walking into the hotel room where Mr. Davis was waiting for him for this meeting. Quote, A young man dressed in military camouflage fatigues with the Ku Klux Klan insignia, a white cross in a red circle with a red blood drop in the center, on one side of his chest, and the initials KKK on the other side, entered the room. This was the Grand Nighthawk, bodyguard to the Grand Dragon. Upon seeing me, the Grand Nighthawk stopped short, causing the Grand Dragon following behind him to almost bump into his back. 
I noticed the apprehension in their faces as their eyes quickly scanned the room and darted back to me. I rose from my seat with an extended right hand, walked over to the head of the Ku Klux Klan in Maryland, and said, I'm Daryl Davis, come on in. It was a tense moment. Mr. Davis stood there with his open palm outstretched toward the Grand Dragon. Mr. Davis was smiling, and he looked friendly and inviting, just holding his hand out. And then the Grand Dragon finally extended his hand and shook Mr. Davis's hand. He said, I'm Roger Kelly. Well, they sat down and they began to talk, and Mr. Davis said it was hard for him to believe that he was sitting there talking to a man who headed the leading chapter of an organization known throughout history to display a profound hatred for blacks, Jews, and other minorities. And the first part of that meeting remained really tense. The Grand Nighthawk bodyguard stayed on full alert the entire time, watching for anything that might present a danger to his leader. Mr. Davis said that every time he reached into his bag, to pull out a blank cassette or a sheet of paper or anything like that that he needed for the interview, the Grand Nighthawk bodyguard would bring his hand to rest on the handle of his pistol on his belt. But Daryl Davis and Roger Kelly, the Grand Dragon, kept on talking. The Dragon answered Mr. Davis's questions about how he got involved with the KKK. He answered Mr. Davis's questions about his Irish ancestry and about his views on black people and interracial marriage. Mr. Davis held his tongue when the Grand Dragon blamed the lion's share of Americans' problems on black people. Mr. Davis was patient with the Dragon, but he was also authentic and forthcoming and honest with him. They talked about the deterioration of the family values in America They talked about the difficulties of raising children in the modern climate, and they both agreed about a lot of problems facing U.S. society. And eventually they found even more common ground. Both Mr. Davis and Grand Dragon Roger Kelly were staunchly opposed to the recreational use of drugs. Both of them believed that it contributed to a lot of societal problems. Well, after they found common ground... On those areas, the conversation began to grow less tense and more more uh, relaxed. And they kept on talking. And then Mr. Davis took a risk. The Grand Dragon began to say something that KKK members often say, which is that black people in America should return to Africa. And he said that that's the homeland and the culture of black people, so it would only make sense for them to want to return to raise their children. And Mr. Davis interrupted him. Mr. Davis stopped the dragon and he said, quote, Your forefathers, Mr. Kelly, came over here from Europe because of their being persecuted. They were not allowed to worship the way they wanted or have free enterprise and opportunity. And since all these different races are here, and there are not a lot of blacks in Ireland, why don't you instead go back to Ireland? End quote. Mr. Davis thought that the interruption and the question might infuriate the Grand Dragon, but it didn't. It actually seemed to make him think. And then the conversation went on. 
Altogether, that first interview lasted about two hours. When it was over, they took some photos together. Mr. Davis shook hands again with both the Grand Dragon and the Grand Nighthawk. And then they all went on their way. A short time after that, the Grand Dragon, Roger Kelly, was elected to be the Imperial Wizard for the Invincible Empire Knights of the Ku Klux Klan. That meant for that particular branch of the Klan, he was not just the head of the Maryland chapter, but he was the head of the entire United States. Well, Mr. Davis met with Roger Kelly several more times over the months, and they started to develop what could really only be described as a friendship. On one occasion, there was an elderly black couple who lived on good terms with their neighbors in a neighborhood that was uh, otherwise white. And right after Roger Kelly held a Klan rally, someone burned a cross in the yard of this black couple. During one of their meetings, Roger Kelly was telling Mr. Davis that he felt terribly about this cross-burning that happened, and he said he was sure that it was not his branch of the KKK that was responsible for it, but he was afraid that the rally that he had held might have kind of stirred up the sentiments of whoever did it. And Mr. Davis said, well, look, Roger, if you, if you feel so badly about it, why not go talk to the couple and tell them that your group didn't do it and that you don't condone that kind of thing? Well, Davis and Kelly talked about it for quite some time. And finally, after Mr. Davis agreed to go with him, Roger Kelly said he would go talk to this couple. Mr. Davis and the Imperial Wizard of the KKK ended up sitting down in this couple's home for almost an hour, just talking. On several occasions, Roger Kelly invited Mr. Davis to KKK rallies that his group was holding, and Mr. Davis would generally go. At one rally, Roger Kelly shocked Mr. Davis when he was giving a speech and then he pointed to Daryl in the middle of his speech and he called him his friend. The two men also began regularly visiting each other's houses. They would enjoy dinner together and they would just talk and talk. The two men would discuss everything, just like close friends do. Here's one more excerpt from Mr. Davis's book describing one of Mr. Davis's visits to the Imperial Wizard's home. Quote, He gave me a glass of ginger ale, and we sat down around the table talking about everything. We discussed Martin Luther King Jr., Matthew Henson, the black explorer who discovered the North Pole for Robert Perry, the Dr. Charles Drew, the black doctor who had invented the process of blood typing and transfusion and whose invention had saved millions of lives all over the world. I was surprised that Roger knew of nearly everyone I brought up. I had thought we would talk for an hour or two. However, I got there shortly after 10 in the morning, and it was now almost 7 in the evening when I got up to leave. End quote. So they just lost track of time, the way friends do when they're enjoying each other's company. A few more months passed, and the man that had been Roger Kelly's bodyguard, the Grand Nighthawk, died. This man was very close uh, as a friend to Roger Kelly, and so the death was quite hard for him. And Roger Kelly ended up asking Mr. Davis to attend the funeral with him. At that funeral, Roger Kelly, the Imperial Wizard, said to Mr. Davis, quote, If I should die before you, Daryl, I would like you to be at my funeral, 
and I'll put that in my will. End quote. That was a measure of just how close their friendship had become. A few months after that, Roger Kelly and his wife had a baby girl, and the Kellys asked Mr. Davis to be her godfather. Daryl says that when they asked him to be the baby's godfather, it was, quote, a life-affirming move which I hope and believe heralds a future in which they shall beat their swords into plowshares, neither shall they learn war any more. End quote. Well, what happened next really shocked Daryl Davis. One day on July 9th of 1999, one of the biggest surprises of Mr. Davis's life happened. Roger Kelly, the imperial wizard of the invincible empire of the KKK, gave up his robe. He quit the Klan. I think the most surprising thing was when the first Klansman gave up his robe. This was never Mr. Davis's goal. He was just seeking information. That was what started him on his quest. He was just trying to understand racial hatred. He didn't realize that he could actually change someone's mind. So when Mr. Kelly gave up his robe, it shocked him. And that was uh, pretty surprising to me because... I had never expected somebody who was that entrenched, who had that much hatred in him, to quit. Kelly ended up giving his ceremonial Klansman robe to Daryl Davis. And after Roger Kelly quit, it ended up sending reverberations all throughout the KKK, especially in Maryland. As a result, in the state of Maryland, I, I interview people from, you know, like I said, up north, down south, midwest, and west. But in Maryland, when the leader became friends with me, and Maryland had a large contingency of Klan, when he quit, the whole Klan fell apart. Today, there is no more Ku Klux Klan in the state of Maryland. At that point, as surprised as Daryl Davis was by Roger Kelly's decision to quit the Klan, and, uh, and as surprised as he was by seeing that it caused kind of a chain reaction that prompted others to quit, Mr. Davis decided to see if that could happen with other defiant racists. And he had remarkable success. In an interview with The Independent, Mr. Davis said that altogether, in the 25 plus years that he's been reaching out to white supremacists, he's ended up persuading around 200 KKK members to give up their robes and to quit the group. 200 members just by befriending them, just by reaching his hand out to them, as he did toward Roger Kelly during their first meeting, just by showing himself to be friendly and authentic and patient, Mr. Davis was able to achieve some remarkable accomplishments. Many of these men have given Mr. Davis their clan robes and hoods and other regalia. Mr. Davis has so many of these garments now for all the various levels of the clan hierarchy that he is planning to open up a museum to showcase all of it. Mr. Davis told me that he is currently in the process of updating his book, Clandestine Relationships, so the second edition will be out soon. And he said that there are two main lessons that he hopes people will learn from this book. Two things. One, while you are actively learning about someone else, at the same time, you are passively teaching them about yourself. So always be honest, be truthful. Give your opponent a platform. 
allow him or her to air their views. And believe me, I've heard some things that cut me to the bone when I would go to Klan rallies. But give that person an opportunity to air their views. If you agree, great. If you don't, fine, you challenge them. But you don't challenge them rudely or violently. You ask them to clarify their points of view to make you believe how they believe. All right, when you do things like that, chances are they will reciprocate. When they reciprocate to give you your platform, you make sure you have all your facts together so that you can present your platform in an intelligent and influential manner. Because nobody wants to be wrong. So if you spark something, chances are they will shift in that direction. It may not be an overnight shift. Over a period of time, people are gonna shift because nobody wants to be wrong. And that's how we grow. This is probably obvious, but I think it's important to stress that Mr. Davis is not driven by any kind of self-loathing or any sort of dislike of his own race. He's no Uncle Tom or anything like that. He's proud of his black ancestry. His father actually marched with Martin Luther King back in the 1960s, and Mr. Davis takes pride in that legacy. Mr. Davis does have pride, but he's also very humble about his accomplishments in race relations. And of course, this humility is not altogether surprising. It would take a very humble man to, to you know, be willing to sit down with men who hate him for no reason. But Mr. Davis really seems to think that what he's accomplished and what he does is not because of any special virtue that he possesses. Here's what he said. The thing of it is, is this. I'm just a rock and roll piano player. If I can sit down and talk to people who hate me, we all can do it. And we all need to do it because this world and our country is getting smaller and smaller. And the more we learn how to communicate with diversity, the better we'll be able to navigate in our own society. Not all members of the African-American community agree with Mr. Davis's tactics. In fact, as well as Mr. Davis's conversations generally go with white supremacists, the same cannot be said for his meetings with representatives from the Black Lives Matter movement. Mr. Davis is a peace seeker and a peacemaker, and these representatives have a, a hard time accepting Mr. Davis's methods. Here's a clip from a documentary about Mr. Davis. This documentary was just released this year, and it's called Accidental Courtesy. In this clip, you'll hear Mr. Davis speaking with some representatives of the Black Lives Matter movement. I would just want to know what the end goal is. Is it, is it to have some type of reconciliation between races? For the layman of the troll projects, who is it receiving all the, the ills of white supremacy and, and that hate, right, at on a day-to-day level, how do they even begin to even think about that conversation that you're engaging in? My end goal is to bring people together, okay? Bring, bring white supremacists together with, with their nemesis. Unless we learn how to get along with one another. This country is a well, why I gotta get along with them? Pardon me? Why I gotta get along with them? Because they are our fellow Americans. We all have to live in this country together, okay? We, we did. Otherwise, we're gonna end up self-destructing. Instead of spending time collecting the history of hate, why not spend that time trying to collect the history that was stolen from us. From there, the conversation gets even more heated. So it's clear that not everyone is on board with Mr. Davis's approach to race problems. And really, that's no surprise. But the example that he sets of refusing to answer hatred with hatred is admirable. 
It's an inspiring example that many of us could learn from. Mr. Gerald Flurry, who is the host of the Key of David show here on KPCG-FM, highlighted an example not too long ago that's somewhat similar to that of Mr. Davis. Back in 2015, after a psychotic white supremacist in Charleston, South Carolina, opened fire on a church and killed nine black people, after that terrible attack happened, the survivors of the attack and the family members who survived the murdered people, instead of hating that racist murderer, they shocked America by saying they forgave him. They said they were in deep pain over the deaths, but that they were praying for the murderer. Here's Mr. Flurry speaking on the Key of David program about this astounding example. One of the biggest problems facing America today is that of race relations. How do we solve that? What is the solution? Well, actually, we were shown how in the example in uh, Charleston, South Carolina, where a white racist psychopath killed nine black people, and how the victims responded is one of the most amazing stories in American history. If you look at it in terms of race relations, I think it's something that ought to really be a lesson and an example for us in a way that uh, can really solve problems. They offered him forgiveness, just like Jesus Christ did. Well, isn't that amazing? And why don't more people do that? Mr. Flurry also wrote a powerful article about the example of the members of that church. It's called the Emmanuel African Methodist Episcopal Church. And here's what Mr. Flurry wrote, quote, This example should have been held up for the whole nation to follow. This is a lesson and an example for all of us in a way of life that can really solve our problems. What a monumental lesson. It's a lesson that America needs to learn and quickly. It's a lesson the country needs, and quickly. And really, Mr. Davis's example teaches that same lesson. To people who hate him, he stands there with his hand outstretched. Mr. Davis shows white supremacists love long before they reciprocate and show it back to him. He takes the time to demonstrate to them that their beliefs are wrong. And the patience and persistence and meekness of this one man is making a nationwide difference. Well, we're coming to the end of The Sun Also Rises. I would like to thank Mr. Davis for answering my questions in those emails and just for setting such an astounding example for the United States to look at. Please send us an email to let us know how you liked the episode today or to ask any questions you may have. Our email address is tsar at kpcg.fm. And please read Mr. Flurry's very inspiring article, How to Solve America's Race Problems. It's available on thetrumpet.com. If you just type How to Solve America's Race Problems into the search bar there, it should come right up. I'll leave you today with one more clip from the former Cub Scout and the current blues musician, author, and race relations expert, Daryl Davis. If you spend five minutes just five minutes, with, with your arch enemy, you will find that you have something in common with him or her. And if you spend 10 minutes, you'll find you have something else in common. And the more you find in common and you build upon what you have in common, 
the things that you have in contrast, like skin color, begin to matter less and less. Mm -hmm.